Welcome back to Fringe with Benefits with your favorite freak show podcaster and survivalist, Stacy. I've had my eyes peeled looking for the wildest and strangest content this side of the Mississippi. Well, on this side of the universe, because I cover the entire globe and even beyond usually. You know, humans and their existentialism in itself are odd. Like, what, what are we and why are we here? Is there a purpose? Is there meaning? I believe so. I spend a lot of time looking for meaning, and I watch everyone around me spend most of their time seeking meaning and with emotion as their driving force, whether it's anger or, in essence, sadness. We all think about this eventually. We all have our thoughts and opinions as to what reality is. In fact, all that exists is our own perception. Our perception is our only reality. That must be why there's so much conflict. Everyone is battling each other to exert one's reality upon others. It's these strange ponderings that keep me enthralled with life. It gives our lives meaning to ponder on the metaphysical. Is it as thrilling for you as it is for me? No? Well, I thought that's why you're here, because I come to you to scramble your brain on all things anomalous, peculiar, weird, and abnormal. Stacy's socials, we've got some fire for you. First, I'm going to share something from Informed Washington. It says, well, the person writing this is a plaintiff in the state of Missouri. The state of Missouri, Schmidt et al. versus Joseph R. Biden Jr. et al. She says, I was invited to attend the Fauci deposition by my attorney with the new Civil Liberties Alliance, Yenin Jones. The transcripts of the deposition should be made available soon but she wanted to share a few takeaways from the event. The questioning was being led by Missouri Solicitor General John Sauer. Sauer did not put up with long tangents from Fauci, and he directed him to stay on topic, cutting him off completely when the questions were being answered. As Louisiana's Attorney General Jeff Landry pointed out in this article called, Fauci could not recall key details during depositions. And he said, it was extremely troubling to realize that this is a man who advises presidents of the United States and couldn't recall information he put out, information he discussed, and press conferences that he held during the C-19 response. So they were reminded more than once during the deposition by Fauci that he's got a really important day job and averages like a couple thousand emails a day. But And should we really expect him to remember minuscule details like discussions on the origins and lab funding? Yeah, yeah, we should, right? Repeatedly, Fauci described double-blind, randomized control studies as the ultimate research standard, while failing to offer any such studies for the implementation of social distancing or masking. He admitted social distancing was adopted at the suggestion of Clifford Lane, who's a scientist who returned from China touting its effectiveness. The U.S. and countries around the world implemented an extreme experiment in behavior modification re referred to as social distancing on the observations of one man. The same lack of evidence can be said of the masking. There were no double-blind control studies performed between the February email wherein Fauci dissuaded the use of masking to his April 2020 about face when masking became suddenly imperative. And then remember he said, oh, it's, you know, two or three makes even more sense me a break. We, he, we've seen him flip-flop on this topic so many times. And I'm sharing this so everyone knows what a total crook he is. 
So during the deposition, Attorney General Landry sat at a table with two books in front of him. The Real Anthony Fauci by RFK, which was an immaculately sourced account of Fauci's decades of collusion with pharma at the NIH and the NIAID. And The Great Fluenza, which details what public health learned from the 1918 Spanish flu epidemic. Landry made sure that the other side saw the well-worn, sticky-noted books, which only highlight what a fraud Fauci and his pandemic response really are. His answers during the deposition only confirmed it. Fauci, in a true Karen fashion, it says, stopped mid-sentence, looked accusingly at the court reporter who sat a few feet away from him on his right, and asked sternly if she had a viral infection because, quote, the last thing in the world I want is to get is COVID. As you see in the video of the deposition, Fauci was equally put off when Attorney General Landry carefully sneezed into his suit coat and Fauci glared at him for several seconds from across the room. Despite repeatedly de- repeated declarations of the life-saving nature of the vaccines, Fauci obviously does not trust them to prevent future infection, regardless of his habitual use and proclamations of the effectiveness. The court reporter announced that she suffers from allergies during all this and she offered to mask herself to appease his concerns of reinfection. And she remained masked for the remainder of the day for that little shithead. It cannot be stressed enough how important this lawsuit is. Americans deserve the truth surrounding every aspect of this pandemic and the ensuing public health response. Medical ethics and human rights demand it. The only way we can truly be free from this panic is for clear analysis of the collusion between the government bureaucrats, social media insiders, who silenced the dissent, from the only allowed public health narrative in an astonishing Orwellian manner. Next is the biggest nightmare, urban legend come true to life. When I saw this article, I was like, holy shit, it does happen. And it and it's still happening. So who knows how much it happens because there's people that don't even get caught. This sweet lady, Blanca Ariano, told her family at the end of July she's going to take a trip to Lima. This is where she was planning to meet this love of hers, Juan Pablo Jesus Villafuerte. She had been in an online relationship with him for several months. Her family said she was planning to visit the beach city of Huacho, Huacho? Huacho, where this 37-year-old Peruvian boyfriend was living. And they stopped hearing from her on November 7th. She had a final call with her niece, Carla Ariano. I guess the 51-year-old hadn't raised any red flags with her that would give her any cause for concern and told her that this relationship proved to be standing the tests of an in-person one and that she was developing feelings of love for him and that, you know, things were good. But the niece, Carla Ariano, started tweeting on Twitter about she doesn't know where her aunt is she said i never thought i would be in this situation but today i'm asking for your support to spread this post and find one of the most loved and important people of my life my aunt bianca olivia ariano gutierrez disappeared on monday november 7th in peru and we are fearing for her life she also said that she decided to communicate with this juan since he was the only contact she had in that country and that's where our fear was triggered Juan was a, is a medical student, and he had responded by saying that he stopped talking to her several days before, and she told him that she was catching a plane back to Mexico, and he said that, quote, I couldn't offer the life she wanted, end quote. 
The niece noted in her post how this behavior was extremely uncharacteristic of her aunt, and she said she would not disappear just like that ever unless without warning. This guy Juan said, you know, take care. I hope she gets back safe home. And that was his last text exchange with the family. Peruvian authorities launched an investigation. And and at the same time, the niece's posts were gaining more traction online. And it gets even crazier. November 10th, there was a discovery of a severed finger with a silver ring attached. The fingertips had been removed. So they couldn't identify via fingerprint but the family was able to match it to their missing relative with the ring so he missed that part in the days that followed more discoveries began washing up on the beach including a faceless head an arm finally a torso with all the internal organs were missing an arrest warrant was issued for Juan, and he was taken in as a main suspect in a homicide investigation. Peru's general attorney said Juan Pablo Villafuerte was arrested on charges of human organs trafficking. He had allegedly begun posting videos on TikTok shortly after Ariano's disappearance that showed him dissecting human organs, including a pancreas and a brain. So he did this shit on TikTok. They searched his home, and investigators found evidence of blood spattering throughout his apartment, including the bathroom, the laundry room, and on the mattress, and then cleaning supplies. Obviously, this is super tragic, and who knows where the organs are, but there's a ton of evidence to convict this guy. The niece said that my aunt was a kind and warm person, full of light, intelligence, dedicated, loving, and that's how she should be remembered. So just a fair warning out there, be safe when you're dating online. This could happen to any of us. And there's been rumors, you know, the whole kidney thing, going out with a hot chick, she slips something in your drink and you wake up in a hotel room missing a kidney, you know, in a bathtub full of ice. We've all heard that story. That would be one of the lucky ones because there's a whole lot more organs in the human body than just a kidney. You could end up missing and never found and then dismembered and thrown in the ocean like this poor lady. Next is an interesting article and (laughs) kind of mind-blowing but goes right along with all the crap that we've been seeing over the past couple of years. People who get the Omicron-specific shot at the CVS, Safeway, Winn-Dixie, or Rite Aid will get up to $20 off their purchases this winter. And this comes amid, you know, food prices are up. I don't know. Everybody's paying a buttload for food right now. We have soaring inflation, and it's a crisis, and it's driven up these prices. The CDC is recommending aged five years and upwards to get this bivalent booster. In this article, they were talking about a bombshell interview with Kevin McGarry. He's the president of Every Black Life Matters, who demands valuing the lives of all black Americans. And he says that, that this is a part of a, a plan to harm black America. He says that every BLM.com teaches true racial unity, not division. So this must be his organization. He claims that the globalists are the real white supremacists. The shocking truth about Planned Parenthood is genocide upon black America. He also says that blacks are being routinely targeted for extermination. 
and he offers anti-woke corporate training services, exposes the real root of racism and eugenics in America. And in this, in this interview, they discuss global depopulation efforts targeting blacks, which I just mentioned. He wrote the book, Woked Up, and he talks about why the woke are the most intolerant and racist. He gives the real history of the Democrat-run KKK and slavery in America, and that the global famine is targeting black and brown countries. The bombshell interview is attached to the article. Link is in the show notes. Next, a sheriff in southern Ohio is reporting that a non-human creature slaughtered a horse overnight. This happened on a farm in, on Airport Road in Ross County. Sheriff says farmer stated today he found his barn torn apart and missing a horse. He stated there was blood in the barn and the back door was busted open. He found the horse in the creek in the back of the property dead. He has cameras and stated he checked it already and there no one had been there since yesterday. Upon further inspection, we were able to determine that a human did not do this to a horse. So lots of speculation. Was it a black bear? Would a bear rip the door off a barn? Probably not. They were suspecting a human, but they said that no human could possibly have done this. So what was it? And what could have evaded the CCTV? All these mysteries. Who knows? All I could find was some discussion on Reddit about this and and, uh, several articles. If I can find out any more information about that, I will. But it's definitely wild. Next is, if you don't subscribe to some of these authors on Substack, I highly recommend you do. And Meryl Nass is one of them. Meryl Nass is a board-certified internist and a biological warfare epidemiologist and expert in anthrax. She testified in Congress November 2001 on preparing a medical response to bioterrorism. And she's been putting out these substacks with a ton of information, and she's been on it. She talks about British cardiologist Asim Malhotra giving a keynote address at a sold-out conference in Oslo, Norway. And this is what it says. Despite opening up for offering a fourth booster to everyone aged 18 to 64, neither the government nor the Norwegian Health Institute wants to come with a general recommendation of taking these. A bunch of health experts and doctors in Norway are now saying they don't think younger adults should be taking this. One doctor even said he wouldn't take it. Quote, I won't do it. I've recently had COVID-19. I wouldn't have taken this booster anyways, says Inar Sogberg, senior infectious disease doctor in Drammen. Other senior doctors in Norway are warning that especially young people should really think twice before taking it. Quote, especially the youngest should consider potential side effects against the effects of taking this dose, says Ingrid Bering, chief doctor at Lyra Municipality. She herself is not taking it either. Turns out that Mirt Linbo, chief doctor at Oslo Municipality, won't be taking it either. He says, as a healthy 42-year-old, I won't take it, but I understand if individuals feel a need for it, he said. Norwegian Health Institute is not giving a recommendation for everyone. Merrill says, here comes something that really surprised me. I didn't think I would see the top health experts in Norway say something like this. Keep in mind that the below quote is from the department director at the Norwegian Institute of Public Health. We did not find it sufficient evidence to recommend that this, this part of the population should take a new dose now. Each vaccine comes with a risk for side effects. It is then responsible to offer this when we know that the individual health benefit of a booster likely is low. 
This is one of the reasons that we have said not everyone should take a new dose, but that's up to the individual. As said, everyone has to be aware of the risk for side effects. Some can experience more troublesome and severe side effects, but most of the side effects are temporary and go away on its own after a few days. This was said by R.A. Stewitzberg at the Norwegian Institute for Public Health. Merrill goes on to discuss that, remember a few months ago when people were calling, or when people were called crazy conspiracy theorists for not wanting to take the booster. Turns out that many top Norwegian doctors are these conspiracy theorists now. I myself recently had an appointment with one of the absolute top cardiologists in Norway for a heart checkup after having some heart palpitations. He told me that both COVID and the you-know-what could cause heart problems. This is not me saying it. I'm just telling you what this top heart doctor in Norway told me. In Denmark, they have decided not to give boosters at all to people under 50, except if they have health problems or conditions where it could pose a health risk. Among those conditions is obesity. So we're now seeing top doctors becoming these conspiracy theorists, not wanting to take an absolutely safe and effective booster themselves. For some reason, it seems like Norwegian doctors are willing to talk about things that nobody else really wants to talk about. And for example, not long ago, it was in fact Norwegian doctors who sounded the alarm on a mysterious rise in patients and excess deaths. Next is another substack she put out about the vaccine. She says that since she went to medical school, there's always been an instruction to pull back on a needle. That's when you aspirate the needle when giving an intramuscular or subcutaneous injection to be sure you're not directing directly injecting into a blood vessel. These instructions have been omitted from this vaccine guidance, and she thinks that the omission is probably deliberate. She said if you inject a COVID vaccine directly into a blood vessel or a vein because or blood vessels, they're more superficial and walls are thin, that it will give most of the dose directly to the vascular system at once. If you inject a dose correctly, vaccine components will need to be taken up by cells and lymphatics before entering the vascular system, slowing down the process and delivering less to the endothelial cells that line the blood vessels. And she says that's where we see a lot of the the direct spike damage being done. The DNA adenovirus vector vaccines like AstraZeneca and Johnson and Johnson both used an adenovirus that had been genetically engineered to produce a spike protein. This adenovirus platform was already known to cause blood clots or th thrombosis. The fact that they cause thrombosis should have been expected and should have been included on the fact sheet, which is a part of the informed consent process for the EUAs. Excluding this known complication might be helpful in litigation by injured parties. And she cites the literature in this blog. The spike produced is of course an additional cause of injuries and like the mRNA vaccines, you don't know how much you make. Lipid nanoparticles used to coat the mRNA and help it get into the cells is made of polyethylene glycol, cholesterol, and in the Pfizer vaccine, there are two additional chemicals called ALC315 and ALC059. Neither ALC was injected into humans previously and their toxicity is not known, and it seems they easily cross the blood-brain barrier. 
70% of people have antibodies to the polyethylene glycol, which is probably the cause of most of the immediate anaphylactic reactions to the vaccines. But we've stopped talking about anaphylaxis. And some early evidence from the mRNA vaccine suggests that anaphylaxis occurred at a rate of 25 to 100 times more than from other vaccinations. Then there's the degraded RNA, which is said to be up to 45% of total RNA and product at the factory. After these things have been shipped and warmed, the degraded RNA is probably a lot more of the total. The smaller bits of RNA may simply be junk with no effect. Or this RNA, the small RNA, may retain the nucleotide codes that allows it to be transcribed into proteins or peptides, which they know nothing about. Some of it may affect which genes are turned on and off. Some may have physiological functions. Small interfering RNAs are about 20 nucleotides long, are double-stranded, and are used to study the function of genes by turning them on and off. Some could have been included deliberately for a specific purpose. The problem is that with millions of species of different RNAs in the vial, there's no way of knowing how to sort out what exactly is there and how it could affect you. And there could be other things in these, that this stuff. The manufacturing processes were sped up and virtually no quality control was done the way it normally is. It was struck by a number of vaccine reactions that mimic reactions to anthrax vaccines made with a totally different process and using different materials. It might be that both types of vaccines may have a lot of impurities that lead to reactions simply due to how much junk is being injected. She says she can't give an answer. Thinks she's probably a pretty important person to listen to. I'm also attaching a video interview with Dr. Robert Malone, who is the creator of the mRNA technology that has been exploited and turned into a weapon. He speaks on FDA criminality and other awful subjects we all must be aware of, so see the show notes for that. And last, we're going to get into, well, kind of last, we're going to get into the Balenciaga craziness that's been going on that everybody's talking about, because how can we not? So let's see what this big controversy is all about. It's one ad campaign. Well, actually, it's not just one ad campaign, but the one that kind of like drew all the attention was an ad campaign featuring these kids interacting with these teddy bears that are dressed in bondage. And then there's another one that shows a handbag that's placed on top of a bunch of legal documents, and the legal documents refer to a case about child pornography. But that's not it. After the social media outcry, the campaigns were scrapped, and they lost an award, and people spoke out, and then Balenciaga files a lawsuit against the production company for $25 million, claiming that it, you know, they're they're sorry about it, but it totally wasn't their fault, and it was this other group of people that are responsible. These controversial ads involving these teddy bears were a part of this year's holiday campaign. The pictures were children clutching handbags that look like fuzzy teddy bears. And you know what? This article gets it wrong. These teddy bears were wearing studded leather pieces, fishnets, padlocks, and black leather straps. Really kind of inappropriate. The campaign was shot by Italian documentary and National Geographic photographer Gabriella Gallimberti. It was his first fashion campaign. 
and he photographed six kids who held these purses. They were surrounded by all kinds of adult stuff, including wine glasses, chains, and other accessories. Five days later, there was a second ad campaign. This is the spring campaign with Adidas that came out. This was the one with the purse placed in an office environment on top of these legal papers. One of the documents under this $3,000 bag was a printed copy of the Supreme Court's 2008 U.S. versus Williams decision. This case examined if child pornography promotion was protected by free speech. Critics are saying the timing of the two campaigns weren't a coincidence, and on Twitter and Instagram, people are saying that it's glamorizing child pornography and abuse. The photographer, Gallimberti, said he has received hate mail, death threats, and gig cancellations. He tells the New York Times, at the moment, nobody wants to be associated with my name because my name is associated with the word pedophilia everywhere. I've been working on my personal projects for 25 years, and then everything has been destroyed by this campaign. I'm not sleeping, and my family is worried. I would be worried if I were him, too, and his family should be worried. So I'm not so sure that the photographer is to blame for this because he basically just is there to take the pictures. He doesn't do the staging. That's the production company. And uh, Balenciaga says the same thing. Production company, set designer involved or at fault. The fashion brand, like I said, filed a $25 million lawsuit against the production company, who is North Six, and the set designer, who is Nicholas Desjardins. And this is for reckless acts. Officials from Balenciaga are claiming the document props were placed in the photos without their knowledge, leading to a damaging association between the brand and child pornography, which is not believable to me because all of those images have to be approved and many, many eyes are on them for them to be approved and put publicly. The set designer said the documents came from a prop house that were supposed to be fake office documents. And Balenciaga said the documents turned out to be real papers, most likely coming from a filming of a television drama. The set designer's attorney added the set designer was not responsible for image selection from the photo shoot and Balenciaga representatives were on set overseeing and handling papers and other props. It's going to be really interesting where this lawsuit goes. The fashion house brought in about $1.81 billion in sales last year. Main components of its latest collection in which was in this ad campaign are not even for sale on the website. Why are they even in the picture? Some celebrities have spoke out, others have remained silent, and this is causing people to be a little on edge about that. One is Bella Hadid and Nicole Kidman. My opinion, well, to tack on to all of that, they released another ad campaign, or actually it was something that was already pre-existing, but since this came out, people were looking really closely at their images. There were office shots, of one of which had some books in the background. And one of the few artists, well, actually a couple of the artists, the content of those books that were very visible in the background had some very concerning artwork featuring the following. One was a Michael Borman book. He does paintings of still images. He's a, a Belgium fella. He's been an artist for a long time. Very high-end stuff, right? See the link for some of his images. Now, some of this stuff is just like way over the top. And that includes little toddlers castrated and bleeding. 
a little boy covered in blood with a, holding a se- his severed arm, or actually covered in blood, holding with a severed arm, looking pained, holding his severed arm. These weird cones that look like they're covering something, and my intuition kind of goes to child trafficking, because there's a lot of these weird, they look like um, sewn batted cones that, like, what's under them? And then there's these hooded figures holding severed limbs that are on fire, hooded figures dancing in a circle as if in a ritual trance, and more bloody naked kids um, holding severed limbs, images that look like dead children, disturbing dark images of a girl trying to eat her fist, weird, and you know, I'm all about weird, but some stuff is just repulsive. Is it about shock? Maybe. For instance, there is an artist out of China who is very famous for his shock art. And some say it's unconventional, but I would say that that's total understatement. There's a lot of controversy surrounding Zhu Yu. He claims that his works critique his own and his Chinese society's moral values. But I would say that that's an understatement too. He uses shock value to challenge his audience's perspective. And human anatomy is central to his work. His materials have included decomposing and disembodied corpses, a patch of his own skin. The work entitled Skin Graft from 2000, he took a piece of, a grafted piece of his own skin from his own abdomen, placed it on a cut of pork, and this was his reflection of his attitude towards animal cruelty. His works are much of an assault on society's morals as they are on an assault in the human senses. His most notable piece, titled Eating People, which is a performance piece, the artist recorded himself in his kitchen eating what appears to be a six-month-old fetus, purportedly stolen from a medical school. Strange, right? Art critic Valdemar Januzak defended this program, pointing out, that whilst the act may seem diluted, it's worth trying to understand why China is producing the most outrageous and darkest art of anywhere in the world. Zhu's shock art was criticized for being a cry for attention, and whether or not people agree with his art or his message, we are undeniably drawn to Zhu Yu's work, it says. We can't help but look. And coming from me, oh yes we can. I don't want to see that shit. And I know a lot of people that wouldn't ever want to see that shit is extremely disturbing and disgusting and repulsive. And there was the day of Gigi Allen and gore performance art. And there's this fine line between perceived violence and real violence and making a statement, making a statement in debate of what society's culture is doing at the time. Uh, I don't know. It's just it's really hard for me to conceive. And I guess it's all about perspective, but when we as artists involve children, I think that they're going a little too far. There have been some people that are going all up in arms about the Balenciaga thing, and they've done a, a Google translation from Latin to English, or from, yeah, from Latin to English. Baal, as we know, is a Canaanite god. The Semitic word Baal means Lord. It is most frequently associated with a major deity in the Canaanite pantheon, being the son of the chief god El and his consort Asherah. In some sources, the son of Dagon, El being more of a distant ancestor. 
Some scholars believe him to be a Canaanite version of the Babylonian god Marduk. In Canaanite lore, he was the ruler of heaven as well as the god of the sun, rain, thunder, fertility, and agriculture. Baal worship was violently opposed by the biblical prophets and several of the kings of Judah, who believed it was God's will that Canaanite religion be completely eliminated. Baal the king. If you put an extra A in Balenciaga, now it's kind of a stretch, but it says Baal the king, right? After trying several translation apps, it will produce Baal is the king or play the ball. And then I've seen with some other people that it says do what you want, which is the credo for the Satanism or Luciferianism is to do what thou wilt. I have not been able to get it to say do what you want, so you take that with a grain of salt. I can tell you that Google Translate does not want to work like these other people. I've seen all these screen recordings of people doing it, and for some reason, it's not working for me. So, take it, like I said, with a grain of salt. There is a deep rabbit hole of information on this stuff. If you guys want to get on there and check out the people that are affiliated with Balenciaga, as well as some other high-end fashion brands, go check it out. There's a ton of information out there. This is not the end-all be-all, and this is something we've been looking at for a really long time. But like I said, anything you see on the internet, just be mindful and check it out before you tout it all over the place, because, I mean, we've all made the mistake, but, you know, let's try not to spread bad info. Follow me on all my social medias. They are linked in the show notes. In fact, explore the show notes because everything that I discuss on the podcast, I usually will put the source in, in which I'm I'm referring to or sources in which I've used. So go check that out. You know, follow me wherever you're at and make sure you reach out. We also have a mailbag here at Fringe with Benefits. You can reach me at fringewithbenefits at protonmail.com. We are looking for stories and we're looking for interviewees. So if you want to come on the show or if you have a story, maybe you're a little shy and you just want to write your story down, that's cool too. The weirder, the better. Let's get your voices heard, people. Shoot me a line. fringewithbenefits at protonmail.com. This week on Fringe with Benefits, we have the pleasure of Joe joining us again. Thank you for joining us, Joe. Hey, thanks for having me. So we're going to do a reaction recording of Joe's reaction, because we're going to read the Atlantic article by Emily Oster called, Let's Declare a Pandemic Amnesty. We need to forgive another one another for what we did and said when we were in the dark about COVID. Are you ready for this, Joe? We'll see. And feel free to interject if you have any feelings or emotions as I go through this. There's a picture of a guy holding an olive branch, or the girl in the mask passing the olive branch to the guy with no mask. Does that invoke any yeah, emotions? That's very, uh, it's annoying. It's very uh, what, what classical or uh, Renaissance. Yeah, type. yeah, Romanesque. Yeah. I don't, yeah. Okay. All right. Here we go. 
In April 2020, with nothing else to do, my family took an enormous number of hikes. We all wore cloth masks that I had made myself. We had a family hand signal, which the person in front would use if someone was approaching on the trail and we would need to put on our masks. Once when another child got too close to my then four-year-old son on a bridge, he yelled at her social distancing. These precautions were totally misguided. In April 2020, no one got the coronavirus from passing someone else hiking. Outdoor transmission was vanishingly rare. Our cloth masks made out of old bandanas wouldn't have done anything anyway. But the thing is, we didn't know. <laughs> Joe, yeah, what, do you, well, what do you think they, about that? They, we didn't they know. They didn't know. They yeah, didn't, well, yeah. We knew. <laughs> she goes on. I have been reflecting on... This lack of knowledge, thanks to a class I'm co-teaching at Brown University on COVID. We've spent several lectures reliving the first year of the pandemic, discussing the many important choices we had to make under conditions of tremendous uncertainty. Some of these choices turned out to be better than others. To take an example close to my own work, there's an emerging, if not universal, consensus that schools in the U.S. were closed for too long. The health risks of in-school spread were relatively low, whereas the cost to students' well-being and educational progress were high. The latest figures on learning loss are alarming. But in spring and summer of 2020, we had only glimmers of information. Reasonable people, people who cared about children and teachers, advocated on both sides of the opening reopening debate. What I want to say is, like, what about the masking? How come just the closed schools were harming on learning and well-being? You know what I mean? Like, she just talks about the closing of the schools being harmful. Nothing about the social distancing and the masking and what that could have done psychologically to our young people. Yeah, well, I think that... A big problem with what's going on right now is people are just starting to really accept that they were ignorant to some things. And it's kind of, you know, I hate to use the term, but the, kind of the awakening process, right? They're just kind of starting to see some of the truths that we've all... <coughs> well. I'm sorry. Oops. Continue. <laughs> uh, they're just starting to see some of the, the truths that we've known for most of, if not this whole time, right? And... It's going to take a little while before they really see it for, you know, for what it is. In whole, for example, the whole, the concept that children, especially young children, going to school, if they're, say, kindergarten, first grade, not only are they very, very impressionable, more so than a teenager, um, but it's their first experience in that social setting, a learning setting, and they can't see each other's faces. Right. Yeah. Um, just facial expression, and you know, you know what I mean. Yeah, the non-verbal cues yeah, that we've exactly. talked about before. Exactly. You have to be able to read people and their emotions, and when you can't, it becomes confusing, and you're not picking up on certain cues that you normally would react to and regulate your behavior to. You know, we were relying solely on the people's eyes. And for me, it was really disorienting. And I think I'm, I'm having a little bit of deja vu because I think we talked about this last time you were here. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I noticed even 
you know, in stores. Of course, I, I flat out refused to wear a mask. I didn't. I got kicked out of stores because I wouldn't wear masks. And I just, I wouldn't return to those stores. And I, to this day, there's stores that I still won't go in. Um, but I saw on more than one occasion where two grown adults had kind of, ten- and it even happened to me, where there's tension because they can't see the expression on the other person's face. And so there's mixed signals, mixed, you know, that's like, like mixed body language, only it's not that. It's like there's no facial, you know what I'm saying? No facial information coming right. in. So they don't know how to respond to each other. It, it, it's weird. Yeah. It's bizarre. Very much. So she's going on about the reopening of schools, and then she moves to, and this is her saying, another example is when the vaccines came out, we lacked definitive data on the relative efficacies of the Johnson & Johnson shot versus the mRNA options from Pfizer and Moderna. The mRNA vaccines have won out, but at the time, many people in public health were either neutral or expressed a J&J preference. This misstep wasn't nefarious. It was a result of uncertainty. You have anything to say about that? Was that, you know, people chose the Johnson and Johnson over the Pfizer and Moderna and maybe why they chose that? Because maybe it was the lesser of the two evils. It was the one that wasn't the mRNA. It was the one stop shot. You know, they only had to get the one versus the two. Um, And it was lacking the mRNA technology, which people were wary about because it's experimental. It's still in its experimental phase. And it was almost as if they were pushing people to get the Pfizer and the Moderna. They wanted people to get the mRNA shot versus the Johnson & Johnson. So they rushed the FDA to make a special emergency use authorization on a patent that hadn't even been released yet, Comirnaty, is that mm. what it was called? I think so. Which I don't even think is out yet, even. They're still giving people the original formula. And they're saying that the misstep wasn't nefarious. It was the result of uncertainty. But they're ignoring all the VAERS data, the small percentage of reported VAERS data. And that's the vaccine, vaccine adverse reaction reporting system. Do you have any feelings on that about what she's saying here? Uh, well, I don't know. I mean, <clears throat> it's been a long time since I've looked at that information. I mean, what? It's almost been like a year probably since I had all the information between the, what was it, five different um, brand, the five different companies and their shots. The mm-hmm. different, you know, I don't, I don't have that information in front of me. And frankly, I don't remember. Yeah, there were stuff. four. And all my listeners four. know because I, that's all I've been talking about pretty much this whole fucking time okay yeah well so then you're you're probably more up to speed than me but the thing that comes to mind is i wonder you see it everywhere marketing is everywhere in society it's ubiquitous throughout the world let alone this country um how many people just they they they're suckers for branding Mm -hmm. you know i wonder if that plays into it the whole it's just like you know football teams baseball teams it's all the same. It's all the same. So you like one team better because of why? Right. You know what I mean? I don't know. Just a thought. Okay, let's let's continue on because you're just going to get more and more pissed off. Probably. Okay, so Emily continues to say, Obviously, some people intended to mislead and made wildly irresponsible claims. 
Remember when the public health community had to spend a lot of time and resources urging Americans not to inject themselves with bleach? That was bad. Misinformation was and remains a huge problem, but most errors were made by people who were working in earnest for the good of society. Given the amount of uncertainty, almost every position was taken on every topic, and on every topic, someone was eventually proved right and someone else was proved wrong. In some instances, the right people were right for the wrong reasons. I, I put a question mark. It doesn't really. It, there's a period. So let me read that again. In some instances, the right people were right for the wrong reasons. The right people were right for the wrong reasons. In other instances, they had a prescient understanding of the available information. The available information meant what was not censored because there was a lot of available information throughout we, yeah. we were able to yeah. see it yeah you just have to have the desire to you know get off your ass and go find it but we're not brainwashed is well everybody's brainwashed to some degree i think but not like these people right if the if cnn doesn't say it then then it's not true right mm-hmm. or they don't even know about it yeah, and so the the weird um, sorcery she uses in these two sentences, it's so convoluted and weird when she says, someone was eventually proved right and someone else was proved wrong. In some instances, the right people were right for the wrong reasons. Yeah, yeah, that that you're right. That that's pisses me off. That's weird. They're well, <laughs> they're uh, they're backpedaling, and so they're still trying to pass it off as though, oh well gaslighting us is yeah. what they're doing yeah and i'm sure it works yeah it works on weak-minded people okay let me go on okay the people who got it right for whatever reason they m- may want to gloat those who got it wrong for whatever reason may feel defensive and retrench into a position that doesn't accord with facts all of this gloating and defensiveness continues to gobble up a lot of social energy and to drive the culture wars, especially on the internet. These discussions are heated, unpleasant, and ultimately unproductive. In the face of so much uncertainty, getting something right had a hefty element of luck. And similarly, getting something wrong wasn't a moral failing. Treating pandemic choices as a scorecard on which some people racked up more points than others is preventing us from moving forward. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, who's stirring the pot here? So, right? wouldn't you say crimes against humanity and um, murder? Because that's not just a moral failing, and there is no scorecard here. The people's lives were lost, people's businesses were destroyed. People lost family members due to suicide because they couldn't get the right treatment they needed to get because of this bullshit that they put on on all of us. Like, this was a huge crime perpetrated upon the entire world and people lost their lives. This isn't about who's right or wrong. This is about who's going to go to jail now that we know that they, they fucked up. Well, okay, when... Let me ask you this, Stacey. When you were begging your you know loved ones we'll say not to get that thing were you doing that to get some sort of um satisfaction of being right no, no. you're doing it because you care for them you believe that this is the wrong thing to do because you have information that supports that belief right yes well now 
you happen to be right. So, you know, I'm getting frustrated here. What I'm saying is, the way she's written this, it's total, it's BS. It's BS. Nobody, I mean, if you're gloating about how you're right now, you're kind of being an asshole, right? Mm-hmm. Even if it's warranted, you're kind of being a jerk. But if you're just putting out the information and it's the same information you've been putting out all along, mm-hmm. how are you gloating? Right. You're not. Well, I mean, you're we not. see a lot of memes and, you know, it, little internet quips about, you know, the scorecard conspiracy theorists are up 17 to 0, you know, 17 yeah. to 0. There's an element of gloating there. And we kind of have to laugh a little bit or else we'd all be fucking killing each other because what has been done is just so outrageous and so wrong that if there wasn't a little element of like, we told you motherfuckers and they're still not listening. They're still trying to deny it, even though we get little, little snippets of you know, people that have gotten the vaccine are dying at a higher rate. People are start they're starting to finally say that maybe the myocarditis is killing people, but the CDC is still calling for everyone to get it. Our military is still mandating it. There's a lot of companies that are still mandating ma- mandating it. Our our state, for example, higher ups in the government and Certain parts that work for certain departments in for the state, they're still requiring and mandating this experimental shot, even though it's proven to not be helpful, number one, but that it could actually be extremely harmful. That's what's preventing us from moving forward, is I think the people that, yeah, granted, you call, made the wrong choice, but... Step back for a second and say, you know what? Maybe we overstepped some boundaries. Let's not ever let this happen again. Mm-hmm. We're sorry. Let there be some reparations for this. Mm-hmm. Well, th- I think these people are still in denial that they were wrong in any way, shape, or form. Right? They still haven't quite fathomed. Oh, wow, I was wrong. I, right? They yeah. haven't. They haven't clued in on. Oh, wow, I bought into something that was not entirely true and i went ham mm-hmm. on it right yeah. here's the thing here's the thing and it, we have to mention this number one where did this come from who wrote this right where did it come from we got to keep in mind here the media is just a propaganda machine anymore and it's been that way for decades right it's it's a mechanism for division in our country and this feeds right into that right yeah. I and mean, that's all this is. It's yeah, divisive it is. rhetoric. Okay, well, we're not done yet, so okay. let's finish. <laughs> okay. Okay, so she goes on and she says, We have to put these fights aside and declare a pandemic amnesty. We can leave out the willful purveyors of actual misinformation while forgiving the hard calls that people had no choice but to make with imperfect knowledge. Los Angeles County closed its beaches in summer 2020. Ex post facto, this makes no sense in my family's masked hiking trips. But we need to learn from our mistakes and then let them go. We need to forgive the attacks, too, because I thought schools should reopen and argued the kids as a group were not at high risk. I was called a teacher killer and a genocidaire. Genocider? It wasn't pleasant, but feelings were high. And I certainly don't need to dissect and rehash that time for the rest of my days. So this chick 
was even criticized for wanting to reopen schools, which I, I'm, you know, I'm not surprised. And um, I don't feel bad for her. But she's really kind of leaving a whole lot of things out. Like, they weren't, uh, they weren't allowing us the access to the proper knowledge to treat whatever was given to us with whatever this thing was that everybody was getting. They were mistreating it. The NIH was completely, NIH and the CDC were responsible for directing hospitals and doctors and pharmacies to not allow them to treat with medicines that were actually going to help. And instead, they used a mandatory medicine that was killing people and causing kidney failure and killed a lot of people. Um, so, I don't know. Unless you have some input, let's continue on because I'm kind of sick of this bitch already. I've read this several times, actually, and we're almost done. So... She says that moving on is crucial now because the pandemic's created many problems that we still need to solve. Student test scores have shown historic deadlines. We're, we're, we're more so in math than in reading and more so for students who were disadvantaged at the start. We need to collect data, experiment, and invest. Is high dosage tutoring more or less cost effective than extended school years? Why have some states recovered faster than others? We should focus on questions like these because answering them is how we will help our children recover. Okay, one, why the fuck are student test score scores the most the first thing on our list? And then okay, next. Many people have neglected their health care over the past several years. Notably, routine vaccination rates for children, measles, pertussis, etc., are way down. Rather than debating the role that that messaging about COVID vaccines had in this decline, we need to put all our energy into bringing these rates back up. Pediatricians and public health officials will need to work together on community outreach and politicians will need to consider school mandates. So here she goes with more of that bullshit. They're concerned with vaccination rates. Okay, and then she goes on. The standard saying is that those who forget history are doomed to repeat it. But dwelling on the mistakes of history can lead to repetitive doom loop as well. Acknowledge that we made complicated choices in the face of deep uncertainty and then try to work together to build back and move forward. Build back better. Yeah. yeah. More propaganda. More bullshit. It is. She doesn't address any, any of the issues of why we're all so upset. Inst instead, she talks about that... Kids need extended school years and high dosage tutoring. What kind of weird word to put in for education is high dosage <clears throat> anyways? That seems like a... Well... That's just gross. To me, it's easy. What they're doing, it's it's classic. Look here, not here. They don't want you to look at the facts that are really important. The, the issues that go along with this, they're really important that we need to look at, all of us. Whether It doesn't matter what side politically you're on. Like the impacts of, like we just the psychological impact of children being introduced into a school system. All these new faces that should be new faces, and now they can't even see their faces. Right? That's got to have a huge psychological mm -hmm. impact on a five, six year old. Right? Not to mention them being right. afraid of other kids yep. and oh, wear your mask. The, yep. Not being in school for extended periods of time is just the tip of the iceberg. What about being isolated from family members? Yeah. When they're dying, grandma's dying. But they want you to look at all this other... Bullshit. It's really trivial, mm -hmm. you know, by comparison. They want you to look at that and not the real important aspects of what we just went through and are still really going through. 
And I think we're going to continue to go through this for a number of years. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of cleanup. Yeah. But I think things like this get people like you and I nice and pissed off. We spew what we spew, you know. We vent. People hear it. And I think it, it ultimately gets people thinking. You know, people, people that maybe aren't quite awake yet are going to read stuff like this. And they'll figure it out. And they'll be like, wait, what, wait a minute. This is bullshit. Mm-hmm. I'm a little delayed on talking <clears throat> about this because this really blew up, I'd say, about three or four weeks ago. And people were running on this for a long time. So this has been something that's been gone over thousands, if not millions of times by people that are really upset about this whole thing. And they were really taken back with this article and how how blasé she seemed, made everything seem and how she totally misdirected where we need to put our attention, just like you said, mm-hmm. because she's not even considering any of the people that died due to malpractice, due to neglect, um, straight up murder when they were putting COVID patients in nursing homes. How many right. older people were killed because they didn't have anywhere to put these COVID patients. And instead of treating them with something we know worked and doctors are screaming on the hilltops, try these methods of treatment. And they're like, no, you know, oh, that's horse paste. What are you, an animal? And now, now they've come forward within the last couple of weeks and said that ivermectin was a supplemental medication you could take to treat it. Now they're saying that it works. Yeah, didn't didn't the guy that, I forgot his name or their name, uh, didn't they win a Nobel Peace Prize? Yeah, the people that developed that? ivermectin. Was- was yeah. that ivermectin or yeah. was that hydroxychloroquine? It was ivermectin, ivermectin in their treat thought. of yeah. malaria. And Yeah, and it's used commonly. It's treated for parasites. Around the world. Mm-hmm. In humans. In fact, a lot of countries in which it's given to them on a regular basis to treat for parasites, they had very low rates of COVID, and it was they attribute that to the high use of ivermectin. Mm-hmm. So, And that's not the only thing, the hydroxychloroquine. There was a doctor, I can't remember his name, who... Who's oh he's being sued for giving advice to take high doses of vitamin D three and other supplements. So he basically is telling people to take vitamins, mm-hmm. and they're fucking suing him yeah. over it, and they're trying to destroy him. And they've they've taken credentials away from doctors. They they took mm-hmm. the credentials from oh I can't McCullough Peter McCullough. Mm-hmm. They took his credentials. He's still trying to speak <clears throat> out. Um, That's the same. There's a documentary out there um, called um, it's called Brzezinski. Now, the, I know there's a political figure in recent years, Brzezinski, but this not the same guy. This is uh, Stanis, Dr. Stanislaw Brzezinski mm-hmm. uh, or Brzezinski, I think is how you pronounce it. Polish guy, I believe. Sounds like it. And, uh, you know, I don't remember. Uh, I, I watched that maybe 10 years ago. You got to watch it if you haven't seen it. This guy, they put him through the ringer and he's still out there. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm pretty sure he's still alive and kicking, and he's still kicking ass. Is he um, the one that's in Texas who is treating people for cancer? I believe he's in Texas. Yeah, he yeah. treats people for cancer. He uses um, fasting and... Uh, intravenous I, vitamin C. Intravenous, yeah, high doses of vitamin C. And I think he uses vitamin D and zinc. But look, he's one of those people that he claimed that he was curing people, and that was his mistake. Instead of claiming... He's just allowing, he's helping these people to allow their own bodies to cure themselves, Mm. right? Mm -hmm. 
So I, I'm pretty sure he's been in prison twice. He's been shut down. He's been censored. And most people don't even know about him. All right. Yeah. Look him up, everybody. Um, so since we just read that article, I'd like to read through some reactions of people that are just as taken aback as we are by this whole thing. And here's a here's a picture of that Emily Oster's stupid face. <laughs> she looks like a dimwit. That's a great picture. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so on Twitter, many of the people who questioned or outright condemned all of these measures in 2020 are calling Oster out on her request. Jesse Kelly wrote, take your COVID amnesty thoughts and shove them somewhere. Don't ever say that to me again. There must be a reckoning. I will not let it go. I will not leave peacefully peacefully with people who allowed their fear to turn them into subhumans. No amnesty. So, okay, when she says that there's, you know, we need to get over this. We can't be going over this for years and years. Well, what about what happened in World War II Germany? Better yet, what happened in the gulags during mm. Stalin's reign. and what Most people don't even know about that. Right. I don't even think they teach that in school in most places in the United States. I barely learned about it. Well, I mean, okay, most notably, the Holocaust. Would anybody who's saying that we need to let this COVID pandemic nightmare go and we just need to forgive each other, do we need to forgive those Nazis for doing what they did to the Jewish people? I mean... I, I probably could be canceled for just saying comparing yeah. it, but it is comparable. This is very much like what happened in World War II. Sure. Well, hey, I'll, I'll one-up you here, hopefully. Um, <laughs> what about the Armenian genocide? So that seems to be um, something that you hear of from from the left more than you ever heard it from the right. It was the, the, the left seemed to be the ones that cried out for justice for the Armenian genocide when everybody else was either ignorant of it, indifferent, or totally denying it altogether. Right. Much like, you know, they're Holocaust deniers. But the point is, that was pretty small in comparison. I mean, the numbers, if we're just talking sheer numbers, small in comparison to what we're looking at with the vaccine-related deaths, mm-hmm. right? And um, that's not even clu- including the people that died with covid of remdesivir of neglect of suicide i mean we're not counting all those right 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 now the vaccine is what is it willful ignorance or um lack of informed consent it's probably both probably more so lack of informed consent i don't think people would be um, shooting their kids up with an experimental drug if they knew it was going to give them a heart condition and their mortality rate was like 20%. Right, right. Well, so we got to get back because I think we're, we're straying from the real core of this issue. Um, the core of this issue is we had people on one side saying that, no, you have to take this thing to keep us all safe, mm-hmm. Right. And so the, the, the weird conundrum is that, well, if you believe that it works, why do I have to take it? You take it. Mm-hmm. And then you can worry about yourself and I'll worry about myself. And if I die because I didn't take it, my problem, you'll survive because you believe that what you took is going to keep you alive and you'll survive, right? Mm-hmm. What's the problem? Right. The problem is they demanded that we take They took our right to choose away from all not everybody i didn't get it right. right you didn't get it no many people didn't get it but they attempted to they made it 
almost impossible. In some places, they did make it impossible not to take it. So point is, they took away your freedoms. They took away your right to choose. Uh, what gave them that right? Right? Right. I, I wouldn't have the right to take away someone's freedom of choice uh, in any other circumstance. Why did they get that right to take that away from me or you? So now people, so getting back to this paper, they want amnesty for having done that. Well, why? Why? If they didn't do something wrong, why would they need amnesty in the first place, right? Yeah, good point. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's I, a good point. Well, good, getting back to I'm the getting heated, so I, I lost my train of thought. So go There's ahead. even people that were mildly inconvenienced. They weren't forced. They were just mildly inconvenienced. They the wouldn't cave. be able to carry on with their normal lives. So us, for example, we chose not to leave the country. We chose to not go places like you couldn't go to the Tacoma Dome and see a concert without being vaccinated when this was all in an uproar. We made choices in which were inconvenient for us, but protected our right to, to make those that choice. Mm -hmm. And so people that were mildly inconvenienced, they just went ahead and did it so they wouldn't be inconvenienced. So they could continue to freely travel and yep. not be questioned. They didn't want it, but they were convinced that if you didn't take it, that your life was not going to be the same. Well, they also gave in to peer pressure. Yes. Let, let's not, you know, we, we need to really think about this as a society. The status quo, the power of the status quo. Everybody, I mean, it's, you know, we, we always use the comparison, the matrix, right? Everybody's so stuck in this matrix. What keeps us there? It's your own mind, right? If you're so worried about what somebody thinks of you, the status quo, oh, they're going to judge me because I have a, I think differently. If you shed that, like, like you and I, Stacey, you just... I don't care. I mean, yeah, you really can't because how smart is the majority of the population anyways? I mean, how how ridiculous would it be for us to put ourselves in mortal danger because Billy Bob down the street thinks you should? Yeah, that's right. But what I guess what I'm getting at is is a society we can oh, the civilization, right? As a civilization, as a species, we could grow exponentially i think if we got rid of that whole and i think it's really based on it is based on ego if you were, we were able to shed the ego just enough to where we didn't rely on making our choices based off of what we think other people are going to think of us we get a lot farther yeah. i've heard it said who, you know whose business is it it's not my business what you think of me ultimately what i'm saying is having that mentality that status quo mentality keeps people from having conversations like you and i are having right now and if nobody listens to that podcast, fine. Mm -hmm. If every American, or, you know, I, I don't know, if one out of 10 Americans started a podcast, and if it only had, I don't know, 10, 20, 30 viewers or listeners, now we've got a conversation. Instead of people just having this conversation over their dinner tables with people they love and know and trust, now we can actually have open discourse. Yeah. But until we shed that whole status quo thing, that can't happen. Yeah, people need to be more brave, speak their mind. Okay, so libs of TikTok, we love them. <laughs> they said, hell no, I'll never forget what the Democrats did, how they destroyed thousands of lives by forcing school business closures. People died alone in hospitals while nurses danced because they didn't allow visitors. Thousands lost their jobs for refusing a vax, 
list goes on and on. Um, here's another guy. Jeff's Messy Desk on Twitter said, I got to stand outside my father's hospital room on the lawn and watch him pass away alone. Okay, let's see. So these are all people that tweeted to <coughs> Emily Oster about her article. And I'm telling you, people were pissed. Katie Pavlich said, Most enraging thing I've read in a long time. You people destroyed lives, had people fired, set back kids for a generation, promoted an anti-American vilification social passport system for the unvaccinated, censored, etc. We had the data in May 2020. These people ignored. No. And so that's another thing we're not even talking about, the, the vaccine passport that... You know, they're still asking people questions whether or not they've been vaccinated, and that's been long, long, long dropped. See, I forgot about that because we just we we haven't traveled. I mean, there's a whole list of reasons we haven't traveled outside the country, right? So yeah. it's that was on my radar. You know, like I said, like a year ago, it's no longer. Yeah, we don't we don't need to worry I mean, about it anymore. The only thing we really need to worry about is maybe other people's opinions about it. Um, Tim Poole said, Cuomo and the other Democrat governors who put COVID patients in nursing homes should be charged with murder. The Citizen Free Press were quick to highlight how fanatic Oster was at the time of the strict measures. Remember how she said that she was being condemned as a teacher killer and Mm. committing genocide? Well, this is... uh, she talked about they talked about her article that was pushing hard for vaccine mandates and lockdowns and how people were calling out that she was kind of a sociopath oster who claims on twitter to be unapologetically data driven wrote how one of her kids yelled social distancing at a stranger during the height of the pandemic and her data driven excuse for her behavior we didn't know mm-hmm. but we did People are racing to buy face masks amid a coronavirus outbreak, but they probably won't protect you from illness, was published by at Business Insider. Many outlets generated similar reporting, and even Dr. Fauci was against masking before changing his mind, and then this year, again, changed his mind. <laughs> Flip-flop, Fauci. Yeah. And so that's another thing. Um, would this have something to do with maybe our relationship with China, considering they were profiting on the production of face masks, COVID testing, all the things? Mm-hmm. You know, we were, we were getting it shipped in from China. They made a fortune. We made a fortune. All of our leaders made a fortune because they were pushing the vaccine. The government paid for us all to have free shots. They're still paying. They're, they're, they're offering... Low-income families, $20 off their grocery bill if they go get the fucking COVID vaccine. Mm -hmm. They offered me a $100 Amazon gift card several times for me to go get the first dose. Oh, yeah. I've had texts, random texts from random number offering a link. Here, click this link and you'll get, you know, $100, bucks. Go whatever. (laughs) And what's so fucked up is we've got this hyperinflation. I talked about this earlier in the podcast, this episode, is that they're offering people money off of their grocery bill to get this fucking thing Mm -hmm. and one um black leader he's he started um every black lives matters.com he talks about he believes that this is part of the the black genocide they are trying to kill black and brown people they're targeting black Mm. and brown people i heard about this guy i don't remember his name though um i can't think of it right now either but i i didn't do any research for this 
podcast. That's okay. Or you We're literally okay. scooped me up like what an hour before we did it, and you're like, "Hey, you're doing you? a good job." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, and that big slam you heard earlier was my coaster dropping off my drink, so I'm really sorry about that. Okay, so let's go on about this, this response. Oster, beyond her lacking a rudimentary knowledge of aerosolized particles that could be obtained in a high school biology class, she seemingly refuses any heuristic approach to the virus, which included her thoughts on schools. The latest figures on learning loss... Okay, so when she talks about that, that we only had glimmers of information, falsely, right... As BMJ Journal noted in the summer of 2020, children were neither COVID super spreaders nor were particularly vulnerable to the harmful effects of the disease, even if contracted. Oster later claims she was an advocate of schools reopening and then begs for amnesty over a litany of obtuse decision making she and many technocrats engaged in. But, she says with her bullshit, it was for the earnest good of society and those errors were innocent innocent um you know i just want to mention um so what was it two pages back i think it was two pages back here um the data-driven chick who was that oster yeah that's that's the one who wrote the article emily oster oh okay i've never heard of her before this right yeah i don't i don't believe um you know but whose data right whose data we had data. you and i and people who think like us we had data back in like may april uh-huh. Even Trump was calling out some shit and everybody was, okay, she brings up, oh, they were trying to and make sure people weren't injecting bleach. Nobody was going to inject bleach. He never yeah. said to inject bleach. bleach. No, okay. Bleach. They also, what else did they say that he said was that to, um, there was something else. Hmm. I forgot what it was. Did it have something to do with infrared light or something? Oh, he said, uh. Some, something effective, is there any way we could explore the concept of injecting light into the person? Um, the whole drinking bleach was, he, he, he didn't say bleach, he said disinfectant. Um, I think he said uh, ingesting a disinfectant. Don't quote me on that. I don't think, I think in, ingesting might not be the right word, but taking in Consuming some, something, something like that. A disinfectant, if you make beer at home, you use a disinfectant. Uh, what is it called? Uh, one step. It's a no rinse disinfectant. What is that stuff? Uh, I forgot. Professional doxer. Chlorine oxide. Is that what it is? I think chlorine dioxide. That's what it, it is. is. It's chlorine, chlorine dioxide. dioxide. That's what I was thinking of. Okay. Professional doxer Taylor Lorenz, on the other hand, is not asking forgiveness. And instead, she says. I am so sick of people organizing indoor unmasked events with zero COVID safety precautions, using disabled sick family members or friends as a cudgel to abdicate abdicate responsibility for keeping attendees and workers safe. If my family member did this, I would be livid. She says, I'm pretty open on here about being severely immunocompromised. If you're inviting me to an indoor crowded event with zero precautions, I'm going to call you on it. Not all medically vulnerable people have the platform I do or the ability to say no to stupid press events and conventions. What do you think about that? What do you think about us being responsible for other people's health and safety? No, that's stupid. Yeah. I mean, that's absolutely stupid. Like, I wouldn't, I wouldn't expect people to 
accommodate me. I mean, like, it's kind of basic <clears throat> consideration if you're sick, like, really visibly sick. Like, probably stay home. Well, if a person can't take care of themselves, then people really, if they're good people, they should try to maybe help take care of that person, mm -hmm. right? But if the person's fully capable of taking care of themselves and they won't, that's their decision, right? Yeah. If somebody wants to smoke and they know that it gives them cancer and a bunch of other stuff, should we take away their right to do that? I don't think so. I mean... Well, we're sure as hell not taking away people's right to um, slam and ingest heroin and fentanyl on the streets. In yeah. fact, we're giving them needles and a safe place to inject those drugs. And yep. then we're giving them revivables, Narcan. Yeah. And then in some states, they decriminalized. Yeah. It like to here. A, to a large degree. Yeah. Our state. It's, they can, it's legal to have personal use on your person. And... You can call the paramedics at any time and they'll bring you back to life at no charge. To them. The taxpayers. <laughs> yeah, we pay, yeah, but we pay. they don't. I think I got what I, I came here for, Joe. I mean, this reaction of yours obviously is very genuine. You haven't seen this article. You probably haven't heard very much, maybe just snippets no, of it over the past few weeks. I haven't even been, to be honest, the, uh, the pandemic... Well, the, the, the vaccine and the COVID stuff has not really been what I've focused my attention on. I've been focusing my attention on the political and legal stuff. Um, by the way, I, I think we should mention, uh, if people haven't heard about the, uh, what is it, Brunson v. Um, Adams that just hit it hit the Supreme Court. It's the, the Brunson brothers, Loy and... Um, I don't know. You should cover this in your next podcast, okay. but it's great. Um, most people, you know, the media isn't going to cover it, but it's a big deal. Well, so, we'll, anyway. we'll break into that for sure, and maybe we'll start recording um, next week's podcast, and we'll get a little bit of that information out there to you guys. But I, I really wanted to get a good reaction and talk about the Amnesty article because I have not talked about that yet. I'm a little late on that, but I really wanted to... I don't think this is over yet. I think there's still a lot of damage control and there's there's people are going to pay for this. They say when something this big and this wrong happens, it takes five to seven years for people to be held ac accountable for this. Mm -hmm. I know Anthony Fauci is going to be resigning. He's in depositions. He's got lawsuits. Yeah, even our sitting um, uh, de facto president is de facto mean fake. No, it means it means the the in 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 reality. Oh, okay. You know. So he's not. He is just our fake president. Our fake president Biden is in deep shit. There's a lot of stuff going on, and Joe's right. Like he is primarily focused in the the political and legal realm because he knows that that's what's going to get us out of this mess and what's going to save our asses. And so we all need to be active in our communities, whether or not it's just talking to your neighbor or being transparent with people about how you feel, stop holding it in. I know a lot of people that feel the same way we do that have a huge following and they totally just stay away from this topic. And I'm telling you, it's the wrong thing to do. We, we need to be speaking up and at least, at least fucking 
saying when something's wrong because what do they say? It's um, the true injustice is when good men do nothing. What is that saying? Oh, uh, all that is needed for evil to prevail is for good men to do nothing. That is exactly what's happening. And when good men who know right from wrong and they know what's happening is wrong, they're standing on the sidelines and they're keeping their head down. That is, you are not doing the right thing and you will regret it someday. So now is the time to stand up because we are the people that are going to get our asses out of this mess. And that's all I got for our interview. Thank you, Joe. We'll take some time and we'll we'll break into another interview and we'll talk about some other things that maybe on a little bit more current status and maybe a little bit more on the serious side because obviously this bitch Emily Oster is not important. Like what she writes and puts out there is definitely not at the forefront. It's more it's more for us to get our frustrations out and to call out some really, really majorly blatant nonsense, which is what we just read for you. So thanks, Joe, for coming on. I yeah, appreciate it. Yeah, thanks you. for having me. That'll be 20 bucks. <laughs> <laughs> Inward Survival School of Magic, we're going to talk about control and why we obsess about things, especially what we can and can't control. Epictetus explains that the most important task of an individual is to know what is and what is not within their control. The dichotomy of control is so crucial to living a virtuous life that the Enchiridion's very first entry is about it, with Arion quoting Epictetus saying, There are things which are within our power and there are things which are beyond our power. Within our power are opinion, aim, desire, aversion, and in one word, whatever affairs are your own. Beyond our power are body, property, reputation, office, and in one word, whatever are not properly in our own affairs. So we've got the thing that we have control over, like how we respond to events, and things we have no control over, whether or not the train we're waiting for is going to arrive on time. Many believe that this thinking of Epictetus is too binary, and it was expressed by William Irving, who wrote A Guide to the Good Life, that our modern age requires a trichotomy, separating events into three categories. So, for example, those things that are in our control, things that are outside of our control, and things we have some influence over. It may seem that the trichotomy is viable and necessary to update the tenant, but if we examine it closely and understand Stoic philosophy, we realize Stoics are already accounting for the somewhat within our control category. If we look at Irvine's argument for the trichotomy, it would look similar to this. So we've got things that we have control over, like um, controlling whether we allow situations to irritate us, things that we have no control over, like the weather, and things we have some control over, like we have control over a competition we're participating in because we have control over how much effort we put in. Stoics believe that things that were somewhat dependent upon our control, the ones we have some influence over, were categorized as not within our control. The reason being is that we simply do not have full control over fate, and we only have control over ourselves. Therefore, the dichotomy should be sufficient. We understand that we have control over what we either pursue or don't pursue, whether we take action, and the good or bad judgments we apply to situations. 
We have control over ourselves and our actions and not others or their actions. We control our future through the actions we take and how we respond to actions we receive. The four cardinal virtues of Stoicism are prudence, which is practical wisdom, justice, such as morality, temperance, moderation, and fortitude, courage. Only by living in accordance with these virtues can we live a virtuous life. But notice all of these virtues have something in common. They're reliant upon the self, nothing external, nothing partially within our control. They all revolve around the individual's control of them. For example, prudence is the practical wisdom we apply to our lives. Justice is the ability to be moral in our actions. Temperance is our control over our own actions. Fortitude is the courage we display to life's adversities. There is an exercise you can do to work towards more easily separating events between what is and what is not within your control by categorizing your day's events and analyzing which were and were not within your control. Create a spreadsheet or write down on a piece of paper the events of your day, mark whether you feel it was within or not within your control and your reasoning, and then make sure you don't fret about things that are not within your control as you examine it because you can't change them. You focus on you and what you have control over and the actions you will take to live a virtuous life. A lot of us will obsessively think about things, especially things that are not in our control and we'll get ourselves all upset. This is what we would call obsessive thinking. Series of thoughts that reoccur paired with negative judgments and usually people can't control whether or not they have these thoughts. And it could be pretty severe, not only from like annoying to all encompassing and debilitating. We could bring down self judgments upon ourselves or worry about small details or even serious ruminations about loved ones getting hurt and This can impact our mood and whether or not we're even functioning. Our first instinct is usually a level of discomfort followed by attempts to banish these unwanted feelings and thoughts. Deepak Chopra says, thoughts are just fleeting mental images. They have no consequence until you choose to make them important. So what you can do is I guess you could just name these obsessive thoughts, be aware of them, and any behaviors that come with them, you can write them down and examine them and how, how they're triggering and, and how you're responding to them. Some say that it's important to avoid the thought suppression by addressing any bad thoughts as they occur, and I've heard that too. And then once they're out of your mind, if you could try to identify the underlying cause or the reason why you have these negative thoughts, and it'll help you gain some perspective, hopefully. The next step to stop obsessive thinking is acceptance. Remember they're just thoughts and just your brain firing off neurons. As we learn to accept these thoughts, we have a better chance of stopping them altogether. I don't know if I agree with this, but Bruce Hyman and Cherry Pedrick, who wrote the OCD workbook, say the resulting effort to avoid, suppress, or escape these thoughts unwittingly serves to amplify and strengthen them, making them worse and worse. Acceptance rather than control and avoidance is the key. By acceptance, we don't mean giving up or resigning, but rather, as their client said, when I let thoughts be, they let me be. And so is this one of those things that are within our control or outside of our control? I guess it really depends on what kind of habits we've established in our lives. In some element, it's our own mind and we have some control, right? 
well, some people would disagree. I'm thinking, you know, what's helped me is when I have an obsessive thought, if I stop and acknowledge that I'm having that obsessive thought, maybe praise myself for the ability to feel the emotion that accompanies that thought and acknowledge the fear that I'm feeling in that moment, and then to redirect my thinking to something that's more positive. Working to cognitively challenge ruminations by naming and accepting them and then using mindful meditation exercises can help negative emotional responses. I always say um, deep breathing exercises, breathe slowly to the count of four, hold the breath for the count of four, and then exhale to the count of four. And then there's also grounding exercises that can help unwanted intrusive thoughts by anchoring yourself in the present moment and feel your the feeling of your feet on the ground, take in your surroundings, count your senses, identify the five things you see, hear, smell, and taste, and then you can get into the now. And there's always, there's mental health help out there. Reach out to a professional if you feel like it's getting to be too much, or if you're having feelings of harming yourself or harming others, you need to find somebody to help you. The greatest power we have is the power to create reality, says Deepak Chopra. He goes on to say, the essence of wisdom is to see that there's always a solution once you realize that the mind, which seems to create so much suffering, has infinite potential to create fulfillment instead. There's your magic for the week, folks. Our Stoic of the Week is the miraculous Viktor Frankl, and he said, When we are no longer able to change a situation, we are challenged to change ourselves. Live as if you were living a second time, and as though you had acted wrongly the first time. Since Auschwitz, we know what man is capable of, and since Hiroshima, we know what is at stake. A thought transfixed me for the first time in my life. I saw the truth as it is set into song by so many poets, proclaimed as the final wisdom by so many thinkers. The truth that love is the ultimate and highest goal to which a man can aspire. Have a great week. Thanks for joining us.